Well, I appreciate all your guys' prayers. I'm going to sit down here because my leg will start throbbing. Um, I finally gave up my third leg, uh, the crutch. And um, for short distances, I can walk around. If it's a long distance, I still use the crutch. But um, for the most part, just keep pushing the knee, helping to get stronger. But I got the brace on underneath. I can't walk without the brace. It gives absolute stability. But um, as I said before, we have rows in the back for families with small children, and we're looking at getting a row for sports-related injuries for us fools over 40 years old that want to get out there and act. I know you're not a fool, Jen. I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, no, you know, don't grow old before your time, huh? Some have asked me if I'd go out and play again, and unfortunately, I'm so stupid, I probably would. Um, but uh, it was worth it. It was fun, but months of recovering and so forth. Um, so if you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, um, we're going to look at a, a portion of scripture here that the Lord has laid upon my heart, and David spoke on it uh, a while ago, the first part of chapter 4, and as he spoke, I continued to read on, um, and later on, the, the following months, I've been meditating on this portion of scripture, and it, it's a it's a beautiful portion of scripture in dealing with the believer uh, walking in the new man. And oftentimes we, we read Ephesians 4 and we stop at verse 16 because it has to deal with the church and we're giving out church doctrine and, and so forth. And we see the body beautifully knit together that we're all one body, many members, but yet... Um, Paul is going to go into here further explanation of how we are all joined together and how we are to relate to one another and how we are to conduct ourselves in this world in which we live. When I was in elementary school, um, there's very few things I remember in elementary school, but uh, one thing I, that, that really sat out to me was the one time we got a caterpillar, and I don't remember if it was our own or we each had our own or if it was just one for the class. And the teacher was teaching us about uh, science and so forth. So we watched this caterpillar, and I was a young tyke, and just gobble up leaves after leaves. And then later on, um, all of a sudden, we come in, and he, start, and he attaches himself to one of the, the tree branches there that are in the cage, and he starts this silky cocoon in which he in, completely encases himself in. And then you wait, and there's a waiting process. And over time, what they've called metamorphosis, is he changes from a caterpillar into a butterfly. And what a tremendous thing that is, that all of a sudden this 12-legged insect comes out, and um, it's a beautiful butterfly that has wings that can fly, that can go through the sky, and its life is changed. You know, we're so blessed that the God, and with his, within his beautiful creation, has given us a tremendous picture of the new birth, of, of that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. That caterpillar no longer walks around on the branches, no longer has to uh, be confined to the ground, but he is able to soar through the air, and his life is completely changed, never to revert back into that, that simple caterpillar. Same thing with us. We have changed. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become 
new. We see another tremendous picture of this in the Apostle Paul. And as you read through the book of Acts, you see Saul of Tarsus, who was zealous to persecute the church of Christ. He would go into homes, he would drag out Christians and commit them to prison. And as he goes about and does this, the Lord meets with him on the road to Damascus as he was on his way to go and throw more Christians in church in Damascus. Or throw Christians in prison that were in Damascus. And the Lord meets with them. And at that road, the Apostle Paul was changed. He went from Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul. And the moment he was changed, he was a new creation in Christ Jesus. His outlook on life, everything he, he conducted himself and carried himself has changed. Now, you would find it odd if, as Apostle Paul um, continued on and started meeting in the churches, and then all of a sudden he reverted back to grabbing some of his Christian brothers that he didn't like and casting them into prison. That would be an odd thing, right? The same thing with any Christian that is a new creation that reverts back into that old way of life and takes upon themselves that old nature and its lust and conducts himself like that. That is as odd and as foreign it should be to the Christian as the Apostle Paul reverting back into his old Saul of Tarsus days or as a butterfly to go back into being a caterpillar. And we're going to look at verse 17 and we're going to look at, the, uh, at Paul and he we don't have time to hit all the verses, but um, you can correlate these later on your own with uh, Colossians chapter 3. We'll eventually turn over there. But uh, Galatians chapter 5 and Romans 6, 7, and 8 that all deal with this new nature and the old nature that lives within us. I believe the problem we have in the church today is we have weak or defeated Christians. We have Christians that are so commingled in the world so operating according to the flesh and the lust of it that they're trying to combine the spirituality of the new nature and the old nature of the flesh and find this common ground in which you can have both sides. And when you look into the scripture, these two are not comparable. They're, 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 there's no way to join them up. And what God has done is God has not revamped the old nature, but he has done something totally new and totally Radical and the mere fact that he has given us a new nature that is alive towards God, that is according to the divine nature, that that nature wants to um, do all the things that God desires of us to do. But the old nature is tainted. But God has left the old nature within us. And we have these two natures. And if you're, if you're truly a born-again Christian, you understand what, I, I, what I'm talking about, is there's a war within you right now. There is a spiritual battle within yourself. And in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about where the spirit wars or lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. The two are at battle because what the spirit of God is at work trying to do is the spirit of God wants to draw out the fruit of the spirit, which is that new nature and all the characteristics of it, of love, of the joy, of long-suffering, of patience, of kindness, in all these things, the Spirit of God is warring against that flesh because the flesh wants to go. And you, we're going to look at the, the works of the flesh. The flesh wants to indulge itself in the world and all the lust and all the sexual sins and all the covetousness and the greediness and the backbiting and everything that the flesh wants to take place. Let's go ahead and read this portion of Scripture here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through uh, 32. 
Paul says, this I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having to understand in darkening, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness in their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. Verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. For indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, that each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sin go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then verse 32, which I would say is probably the most difficult verse in all of the scriptures, and one I dearly do not like, but we have to apply it and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiving one another. We're going to get into that hopefully as time goes on, and, and there's a lot to discuss here, but um, what a tremendous challenging portion of scripture that we have, that living in the new life is something totally different from that of the old man, the old way of life. What the Apostle Paul does in verse 17 and going back is he starts off, this I say therefore, and he's basing this on the, the previous three and a half, four chapters, is what he's talked about in the church and that everything that we have in Christ Jesus that he has done and he has accomplished. And if we were to go to Ephesians chapter 1, you would see how we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing from the heavenly places is poured out for us. We have all the power, knowledge, energy, everything we need from the heavenly places and actually, our citizenship is in heaven. It's not on this earth. We have access to that throne of grace in heaven, and that's where we're seated. We are a new life, no longer to walk on this earth. And he says, testify in the Lord, and he is testifying on the grounds that he has learned this from Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this is what he's instructing the Ephesian believers that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the fertility of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to walk, work all uncleanliness with greediness. That you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. You could even redefine that and say that we should no longer walk as the world walks. You see, there's three enemies of the Christian that we got to be aware of. And these three enemies of the Christian is the world, 
the flesh, and the devil. The world system in which is designed right now or originated from Satan. Satan is the originator of its lust, of all its entertainment, its appetite, and everything that functions. Satan is the energizer behind it. And we're going to look at this in Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul is going to say he's the prince of the power of the air. For whatever reason, God has allowed Satan to have his domain here on earth and to run the course within this world. And what God has done within us as believers is he has fully equipped us to live a victorious Christian life and then not to fall after the pattern of the world, not to follow after the lust of the flesh, not to be deceived by the trickery of the devil. For the three of these together in which Satan uses wants to destroy and lead all Christians away. You know, if we were to go back in the, in the Old Testament, and one thing that uh, the prophet Balaam that we learn from him is uh, as Balak, the king of the Moabites, brought him about to curse the children of Israel, three times he went and blessed the children of Israel. And Balak was upset. And he says, I'm not going to honor you like I said I was going to honor you because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. You were supposed to curse the children of Israel. So what we find on later on as we read on is that Balaam, understanding the old nature, understanding the lust of the flesh, understanding the world, says, look, just send your women down there. Send the people down there to co-mingle within the Israelites. And what ends up happening is you end up with Israel forsaken the true and living God and taken on Baal as their God, taken on their religions, taken on their lifestyle to where the, the, the mere fact that the Israelite became so bold that he had a, a Midianite woman that he went and offered to one of the Israelite brethren right in, the front, right in front of Moses. Phineas was outraged. Phineas grabbed his sword and as these two went into the tent, took that sword and thrust it between the two of them. And it says, because of that action of Phineas, the curse stopped in which 23,000 were killed. God takes sin seriously. But Balaam, in his deception and in his corruptness, offered to, to destroy the children of Israel by this method. And if we know Satan is energizing behind Balaam and Balak, we know that his same method is today is to bring the world into the Christian's life so that you get your eyes off of Christ and you get your eyes on the world and the things of the world and that we begin to operate out of the flesh and, and, and to uh, grieve the spirit of God, which we'll get into. We don't have time to get into the world and the devil, but we're going to talk about the flesh because it's important. Now look at what he describes as the old way of life. That you should no longer walk. And when the scriptures talk about walk, it's referring to the Christian life and that daily walk in which you walk with the Lord and, and, and the way you carry yourself and the way you go about in life. That we are not to walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the fertility of their mind. It's where fertility actually means vanity or emptiness, a moral depravity. That these Gentiles, this world is so empty in its lifestyle that they waste away their lives and their time. See, Christians have a purpose, and our purpose is to glorify God. Our purpose is to live for God. When he saved us, he didn't just save us from the pit of hell. He didn't just save us um, to go to heaven, but he saved us to have a life, and that life is abundant life, 
a life of fulfillment and a life that we can glorify and please the, our God and Father. It's an amazing thing that we within our bodies, we the way we walk can glorify and please our Father because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary. But this emptiness of their walk in which it, it, it appears, possibly there's some Ephesian believers that are walking the same way as the Gentiles walk. And in verse 18, it says, having their understanding darkened. They don't understand the things of the Spirit of God. We go to 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, you'll see that the things of the Spirit of God are revealed through the Spirit of God. And that the natural man doesn't discern the things of God, nor could he understand them. But the unbeliever is darkened. He's in a dark place. He only operates out of the flesh. He only operates out of that old man, that old nature. I've given this example before, but as you watch lions in Africa devour a zebra, this is their natural disposition. This is their nature to go forth and attack and kill. So is the unbeliever. So is the people in this world that their understanding is so darkened and the way of God is so foreign to them that they, their natural tendency is to indulge in the things of the flesh. This is what they're given over to. This old nature dominates them. And if they allow the nature to continue to dominate them, then they will go into further and further and darker sins and to uh, um, things that really are unspeakable to where you see these men that are uh, um, rapists, murderers, um, sodomizers. There's so many different sick sins in which when you get into law enforcement, you find out it's rampant. It's everywhere. The immorality, the, 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 the giving over to the flesh, whether it be drunkenness or, or, uh, or um, lewd acts or whatever it might be, these people are so given over to the flesh that they can't even control themselves. One uh, uh, newscaster said that in, in dealing with these uh, child molesters that they do sting operations. And as they do a sting operation, they set up a house and they try to lure this guy in. So through the social media, these guys will make contact with uh, children and they try to set up a place for meeting. And what ends up happening is they have this place of meeting in which they go to and the police bust one. And this next person will come and he'll get busted. And the next one will come and they'll get busted. E even if they know, hey, this is possibly a sting, they're so given over to their darkness that uh, this is the way that they go, that they chasten it after it. To understand that a little fuller, you can go into Romans chapter 1 to understand that. But their, their, their understanding of God is dark unless the light of the glorious gospel shine upon them. You see, they're in darkness, but the gospel is a light. We're a light that shines and exposes that darkness so that they can see the true living God, that they can see the need for repentance and to come back to God and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior to come back to their Creator. But they're alienated from the life of God. We know that all things that are good come from God. And that life that we have in God is all the blessings. And one of the worst things about hell and the lake of fire is the absence of God. The absence of all the goodness of God. All the purity, all the righteousness, all the, the, the goodness that, that we experience as Christians is going to be absent in the lake of fire. But looks at, but, uh, and because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling 
have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. You see, they've been given over to it. And their desire is, is not only to, to fall into this, this sin and lewdness, but they actually work all cleanliness with, uh, with greediness. They actually are involved in creating and working and an appetite for bringing about this, uh, feeding this flesh and, and indulging themselves. Look at me real quick to Ephesians chapter 2, and um, we'll see a little bit more in which uh, Paul has elaborated on this. And Paul always, through the Spirit of God, likes to keep us grounded in the Word of God, keep us grounded of where we came from, keep us understanding that where we were saved from. He never wants us to forget how God has saved us from our trespasses and sins, how God has saved us from a life without Christ, because he wants us to constantly glorify God and be appreciative of uh, who God is. But listen to this. We're not going to go into detail because we don't have time, but uh, just listen how this correlates together with the world and with the flesh and with the devil. And verse 1 of chapter 2 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Here you have the world being mentioned. According to the prince of the power of the air, here you have Satan mentioned, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves to the lust of our flesh. Now you have the flesh, the old man mentioned, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. This is our predisposition. This is our preposition of how we walked and we conducted ourselves. But what the Apostle Paul always brings in, and this is beautiful, is this simple word, but. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. This is our new nature in which he's created us, is this nature of Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What a tremendous but we have here. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. See, there's a distinction, and everyone here is in one one of two positions. Either you're still in the old man and still in your sins, or you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior. As it says here, let me read it again for you, verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, that you have accepted the free gift of salvation from God. And if that is the case, you have become a new creation in Christ Jesus. You have changed. And this old way of life in which we once walked, which we once conducted ourselves, should be so foreign to us that it would be similar to as a butterfly going back to living like a caterpillar. But yet we say, why do Christians do it? Why do Christians revolt, revert back into the old flesh? Why do Christians seek to indulge? There's a war going on. 
Now we're going to get into it later on, perhaps not today, but there's a war going on within you that the spirit, as I mentioned, wars against that flesh. And what ends up happening is you begin to ignore the spirit of God. You begin to indulge in the sin and you begin to feed that old nature and that old nature will grow and, desi and desires to consume you and to feed on that. And for a time, it seems so pleasurable, but for that time, it will reap death. Sin always brings about death. Sin always brings about destruction. And see, God takes sin seriously. Just because we're believers in Christ Jesus, just because we're forgiven, I wish I had a, a portion of scripture. Maybe someone could share it, to me, share it with me later on. But I'd almost say God takes sin more serious in the Christian than he does the unbeliever. Because he's redeemed us, and we are children of the living God. And in chapter 4, verse 1 of Ephesians, it says, I therefore, the presence of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with, with, with which you were called. He's begging us. Walk worthy of this position that you have been seated in the heavenly places. You have become a child of God. You represent God in this world. And the characteristics of God that we are shining forth as a light to this world is not one that, that is a characteristic of the world or of the flesh. But he's begging. Do not revert back into that old life. Do not go backwards in your walk. The Corinthian believers, he actually told there that uh, these believers were um, carnal in a fleshly state. He says, I, I can't speak to you as mature believers, but you are immature believers. You haven't grown. You're still babes in Christ. You're, you're still operating out of the flesh. You, you, there, 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 there's divisions and sin, and there's no forgiveness taking place, and there's nothing going on that, of humility, of the new nature. And he begs them. You've got to mature on. You've got to indulge in the word of God and allow the spirit of God to lead you. Look at, go back to Ephesians chapter 4, in which he says in verse 20, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus Christ. What is he saying here? The moment that you were saved, when you learned about Jesus Christ, and you learned that salvation is through faith, and that it's by grace, it's a free gift of God, and that there's no way you can earn your way to heaven. There's no way you could gain God's favor. And the minute that you repented and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that the one that died on the cross for your sins, you've been changed. And as you've been discipled by Christ, and as you've been taught by Christ, in any way has there ever been any teaching from Christ that says, go back and live like you previously did? This should be appalling to us as Christians. We, we should be so devastated and so foreign to us to see Christians living in the world and yet living in the church and yet commingling the two together. The testimony of the Lord has been weakened and it's difficult to witness that work, the workplace or anywhere else is because of the hypocrisy of Christians today has gotten so out of control and there's so many people claiming to be Christians but yet in one breath saying he's my savior, the next breath indulging in sexual sins and drunkenness and the worldly lust and everything else and the, all the uncleanliness and then coming back to the church and then going out and coming back and they think that as long as I can come on Sunday and I'm a Sunday Christian and I do my, my righteous acts of showing up and then go live like the devil the rest of the week, we think it's okay. 
The Lord wants our whole life. You know, thinking of the emptiness of mind and the fertility of the, the wasted life of the unbeliever, how many times have I wasted my own life? How many times have I wasted time that you could be in study, in prayer, in, in, in fellowship, and there's so many different things, but I'll, I'll waste my life away. And a lot of times it's not always the things that are sin or bad, but a lot of times it's things that take us off of the distractions uh, distract, that distracts us away from the Lord. And I, I made the joke that I think the Lord allowed this injury so that people around me can learn servanthood, you know, and, and, and learn to serve, but uh, they, they need it, not me. Um, but that's really not true. And, and the Lord has something to teach each and every one of us. And sometimes what he wants to do is slow us down. Be still and know that I am God. I can tell you, uh, um, I've wasted time in these last four weeks because I can only stare at you just a lot of sitting around. But it's also been a blessed time of studying the scriptures, of reading through the word of God, uh, of fellowshipping with the saints and the encouragement and, and those that do serve. And it's such an encouragement. And uh, that the Lord has me in the right place and he has a purpose behind it. And um, although it's difficult to sit there and, and for two weeks, you want a cup of coffee, you got to ask someone. I want a drink of water, I got to ask someone. I, I, was, I was laid up on two crutches, and I actually impressed my niece, Alana, that I had a little staging area for each step. I'd move the coffee to here, walk, move the coffee to here. But um, because I needed my coffee in the morning, nobody was up. But for the most part, all my kids and wife and everyone's been wonderful. But it's very humbling to sit there and have to ask for help. Ask for something, to be served. But sometimes the Lord requires us to do that and to learn from others. And it's been a tremendous time of learning and meditating, talking to the Lord. So if you're ever in these, these times of, of rest, it's rest, rest in the Lord. It's times to rest and reflect on him and his goodness and, and what's going on in life. Because as we know, I mean, with the, the busyness of work and life and children and everything else, you, you just get so scattered and going about every which way. And, um, and sometimes we just got to stop and meditate on the Lord. But we have not so learned Christ to walk in that old man, that old nature. Now look at uh, verse 22. We're going to get into more of the meat of it. Um, and I, I wanted to spend a lot of time at the, the, the beginning because I want to build this up. I want you to really see what the Apostle Paul is going to say here in the next few verses because it's tremendous in how we are literally not supposed to carry about that old nature and that conduct. Verse 22 says that you put off concerning the, your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Now look at what it says, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. If it has its way, it can continue to feast and grow and deceitfully deceive you with the lust of the things of the world. But look at verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And verse 24. And that you put on the new man, which is created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. As I begin to study this, I, I looked at, uh, it says, and then the King James, the new King James says that you put off and the New American Standard says, and you put off. And it appears at the time, I'm reading it, and it seems a present tense. 
But then I read John Nelson Darby's translation and some of the commentators, and it says that you have put off concerning your former conduct and that you have put on the new man. So in my confusion and understanding, I, text, I emailed uh, or texted Ken Daughters and said, what is the tense of this? What's going on? He sent me back a long text of all this stuff with Greek and Aorist and, and uh, infinities and all this stuff, and I just go, okay. I just want to know, man, what tense it is. <laughs> but he just confused me. That, I mean, I'm chewing on it. I'm trying to grasp it. But he, what he basically said is that usually you can discern between the two, but in this particular section, it, 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 it could be translated either way, but by the context and understanding, you have to put it into practice. So, if I understand it correctly, and I'm texting them, is that it's not, and this is what I want to be clear, and he said this is clear, is that it's not that, that we are without the old man, and then we're putting them on and off, and it's not that we are without the new man, and we are putting them on and off. It has no, it has a, it's a one-time decided act, and at the time of salvation, when we were born, we were given the, our sinful nature from Adam. This is derived from Adam. Look at uh, Romans chapter 5 for that. But we all inherited this wonderful old nature from Adam. And this is the sinful nature. This is what is referred to as the old man. That is still there. But at the time that you're saved, you are giving a new nature, the new man. This new nature is one that Peter would actually say it's a divine nature in which God has, has surgically implanted within us, in which we as believers, have two natures. But I believe what the Apostle Paul is getting here, and we're going to get into it when we finish off the chapter here, is that that old man that you have within you, and this word put off is literally like a wardrobe. You get dressed and you take it off. That filthiness, the works of that old man, you are to take off. You are to not be clothed or dressed with all the lust of the flesh and all that the flesh has to offer. That is not supposed to be the characteristic of our life. Now, when we go, um, those that work construction, you know, when you get home after a long day of, of working, you go and change clothes. Your, your, your clothes are soiled. Your clothes are dirty. Your clothes need to be changed. And you go on, and what do you put on? Clean clothes. Every one of us this morning, I, I, I believe, <laughs> put on new clean clothes to come to the meeting. Now, if someone came dressed in the old clothes that they've been wearing all week long, like when I've dealt with transients, they stink. It's an odor that's, that's permeated within the clothes. But see, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that that old man has been crucified with Christ. That old man has been dealt with. We are no longer under the power of that flesh out of that old man that we have to be obedient to him, that, that we have to obey its lusts. And maybe in a couple of weeks when I talk, I'm going to hit Romans chapter 6, but that's where he clearly lays it out. And you see, when it comes to the new nature, we have that new nature, and it's not that we're putting on the new man as if it's been absent, but what we're doing is we're putting on the works of that new man. We're putting on the characteristics of that new man. And what the Holy Spirit is going about doing is he is bringing forth the fruit from that new man that is Christ-likeness. In Romans chapter 13, it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a present tense. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, uh, and um, damn, my mind went blank. But you will not uh, fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
But it's a Christ-likeness that the new man is putting onto us, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, that we are being conformed to the image of Christ, and the Spirit of God is doing this through our new man. We're to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Our spirit of our mind. This is the daily action. This is a present tense here, that every day, our mind sees still as corrupt from the old nature. It still thinks just because you get saved doesn't mean all of a sudden, oh, the light's clicked on, and I think totally like God does. But through the course of sanctification, our mind are constantly being renewed, renewed. The word of God's going in, and it's taking place, and that old man, that old thoughts, that old way of life is being purged out. It's being separated out so that this new man is dominating your mind and your thinking. That's why it's so important to put the word of God into your mind. You know, uh, Joe McHale gave a beautiful example at Yosemite. He said this guy picked up a strainer and he was straining out the water in Yosemite and someone says, what are you doing? And he goes, the water is clean, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just watching the clean, he's just straining out the, the clean water. I forget how exactly he, he put it, but as the water goes through, you're just seeing how clean it is. And sometimes you may not remember everything of the word of God, but it's cleansing your mind. It's clearing out all the garbage that's there. Depending on how fine there is of a strainer, then you would be able to strain out the, the soot and the stuff that is in there. And, um, but we need to daily renew our mind. But look at this new nature. It's according to God. See, God created it. And it's in true righteousness and holiness. It's, a, it's according to the righteous character of God and God's holiness. There is no impurities within it. There is no uncleanliness. There is no sin within that new nature that gives us a desire, but it's according to the nature that God has given us to walk victorious in this Christian life. Now let's see this into action. Let's see how Paul puts this into action in the next several verses. Let's see if you can pick up the putting away, the getting dressed and undressed in a very simple way of putting on the righteousness of God and letting that clothing be the clothing of you daily. Therefore, verse 25, putting away lying, that each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Look at what it's saying in contrast. The old man, the old nature wants you to lie. The old nature is going to say lie to the brother and lie to each other, deceive one another, go about this way. The new man says no. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He's identifying here, we are so joint together, we are so close to one another that we need to be open and honest with one another. Back in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him who is the head, Christ, and from the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which each which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This honest speaking, this honesty between each other and encouraging one another is a key growth, part of the growth of the assembly. For we are part of one another. Now, this doesn't mean that you've got to come up to me and say my tie doesn't match or you don't like my new haircut and say, look, I'm just being honest with you. Um, but it's true intentions of edifying and exhorting one another 
that it would be so uh, to the extent and the test that you can give at verse 29, it says that it may impart grace to the hearers. And, and that's what we want. But sometimes we've got to be open to criticism. One time a, a, a brother shared with me um, that and many of you know, as I've grown up, I let the kids get up and go out with Rachel and, and um, Teeny and so forth and go next door to do the snacks and all this stuff. And if I'm a, a wee high, they've been doing it. And her brother said, why do they get up and leave? It's kind of a distraction, and aren't they old enough to stay in the meeting? He's right. It was something I had no, I had no clue. I didn't even think about it. It's just such a routine. I had no idea. I'm just like, yeah, go. It's, it's what you do. All of a sudden, I'm going, man, my little Carson and Zoe are getting big. And they should be in the meeting. And after that one time of honesty, I went and said, kids, Talked to my wife. We said, kid, you're staying in the meeting until the end. You see, and this is being open and honest with one another. Not, not, and look at the next verse and, and keeping with the context of relationship with one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. You see, something we could be said in the assembly or to a brother to brother, sister to sister, whoever it might be, and you'd be offended. And then you go home and the anger begins to envelop, envelop you and begins to take over. And what the uh, apostle here is, is teaching us is to be angry in a righteous anger and do not let this sin fester within us so that there causes more division and hate and wrath for the individual. He's even given a time frame. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let the sun, don't go to bed with these bitter, anger, angry feelings towards one another. See, God takes relationships with, with that we have with one another, very important. This is so huge. And if we had time, we can go through the Sermon on the Mount. He's very, like you're going to bring a sacrifice and you haven't made amends with your brother. You go get right with your brother, then bring the sacrifice. God cherishes our relationship so much um, and how we treat one another that it's a serious, serious thing to God that he would actually say that he hates one that causes discord amongst the brethren. And look at what happens when you do, we don't judge sin. You give place for the devil. Look at verse 28. Let him who steals steal no longer. That's the, the, the flesh, the old man. Or rather let him who labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give what, of him who has need. That's the new life. That's the new life. Not stealing from one another but, and being selfish, but giving. Verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. The old man wants to chop each other down. We want to rip into each other. We want to uh, indulge in corruptness. But the new man says, no, we're about edification and that it may impart grace to the hearers, that it may build them up. And when we don't, when we obey that old flesh, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This has to do with sin in our life. This has to do with with. Uh, indulging in the flesh and not being obedient to the Spirit of God and the things of God. Verse 31, And let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Then the toughest verse of them all, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. See, 31 is that old man. That's the works of the flesh. That's what he wants. 
That's what he wants to come out in me. He wants to devour each other. He wants to devour. But the new man, in which the Holy Spirit brings about those works, is kindness to one another, tenderheartedness, forgiveness, and, um, and to forgive one another in Christ Jesus. Let's bow in prayer. Gracious God and Father, thank you so much for Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you so much for the work that you've done in our life to give us victorious Christian lives, Father, to no longer be dominated by sin, no longer be under the power of the flesh and that old nature, Father. But you have given us your spirit to walk in newness of life. That same power, Father, that rose Jesus Christ from the grave is the same power that lives with us to walk in newness of life. May we walk and be characterized by the new man and not by the old. Thank you so much and help us in our daily walk. In the name of Lord Jesus we pray. Amen.